What Jesus Taught and Why by Paul Johnson The ministry of Jesus was continual. Even when he traveled, Jesus taught by the wayside. There is no evidence he preached formal sermons, let alone regular, repeated ones. Indeed, the word preached should not be used about him. Taught is more accurate. He taught as the Holy Spirit moved him, often in response to what he saw or heard, or to questions. He used synagogues when those in charge of them were friendly, or he taught in the open. Jesus was not thus overburdened by a program of specific appointments to teach. While always at work, he gives the impression of finding time to chat, albeit not about trivialities. There is never a sense of hurry. He had no system, no manual, no code, God forbid. The only way to grasp his teachings is to read all the Gospels repeatedly until its essence permeates the mind. Jesus was a revolutionary who transformed the entire religious scheme into something quite different. It ceased to be a penal system of law and punishment that could be left to Caesar and his soldiers and became an affair of the heart and an adventure of the spirit. Jesus did not exactly repudiate the law. What he did was to extract its moral code and ignore the rest. Instead of the law, he spoke of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. A faithful soul was not one who obeyed the law, but one who, by transforming his spirit, entered the kingdom. God was not a distant, terrifying being, but the Father. Essentially, in the teaching of Jesus, the entire human race was the children of God. He used the term Father or Holy Father more often than any other. When a disciple asked him how to pray, Jesus taught him the words of the Our Father or Lord's Prayer, an admirably succinct and intimate address to God, who is treated as the father of a close family rather than an invisible deity on a mountain. Later, on the eve of his death, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed directly to God in an extended and transcendental version of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus always taught that the present world, though created by God and good and beautiful in many respects to be enjoyed and made use of within reason, was totally different from the kingdom of God. It was alien, and human beings could never be fully at home in it. It was as though something in them, some vital part, was missing. They needed to be made whole. This process could not be achieved by obeying endless laws, or even by doing good works, meritorious though they were. It depended entirely on the mercy of God, whose Son was the symbol and instrument by His sacrifice. Life on earth was to be devoted to a self-transformation in which each human soul strove to become as like God as possible, a process made easier by the existence of His Son made man thus facilitating imitation. The essence of Jesus' teaching is the search for oneness. What matters is not the world, a mere episode in time and space, but the people in it. Their sojourn in this world is temporary, and their object is to emerge from it and become one with God.
about to depart the world, Jesus prayed to God for his faithful followers. I am no longer going to be visible in the world. They'll continue in the world while I return to you. Holy Father, guard them as they pursue this life that you conferred as a gift through me, so they can be one heart and mind as we are one heart and mind. In Jesus' eyes, the faithful are alien to the world. They are not part of this world any more than I am. And he adds, I'm praying not only for them, but also for those who will believe in me because of them and their witness about me. The goal is for all of them to become one heart and mind, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you so they might be one heart and mind with us. Then the world might believe that you, in fact, sent me. The same glory you gave me, I gave them, so they'll be as unified and together as we are. I in them and you in me. Then they'll be mature in this oneness and give the godless world evidence that you've sent me and loved them in the same way you've loved me. Father, I want those you gave me to be with me, right where I am, so they can see my glory, the splendor you gave me, having loved me long before there ever was a world. Righteous Father, the world has never known you, but I have known you, and these disciples know that you sent me on this mission. I have made your very being known to them, who you are and what you do, and continue to make it known so that your love for me might be in them, exactly as I am in them. Jesus said this magnificent and intimate prayer while kneeling. Moses had taught the Hebrews to pray standing and aloud, with arms outstretched as though contemplating an implacable deity at a Himalayan distance. Jesus adopted the posture of a child kneeling at a parent's thigh or lap, Prayer should be silent, secret, private. The way in which a prayer was said was characteristic of Jesus' teaching, which was to reverse all the assumptions. He turned the world, which was wrong and false, upside down and set it upright. When he taught his disciples and the people as a whole how to behave, there was a stunning reversal of values, which must have caused astonishment. He produced a series of precepts known as the Beatitudes, which he taught as a guide through life and his material problems. The world was reversed, and poverty and humility were substituted for pride, ambitions, hierarchies, and pursuit of power, money, and pleasure. We must bear in mind that the land where Jesus preached was a place of contrasts, even savage ones. The long and economically successful reign of Herod the Great had produced prosperity for many and great wealth for a few. The end of piracy, the expansion of trade, and the stability of the new Roman Empire had made it possible for traders to make rapid fortunes and careful farmers to do well year after year. But as Jesus said, you'll always have the poor with you. And prosperity had attracted countless immigrants from the north and east who formed pockets of poverty everywhere. The Jews looked after their own poor, 
They were more conscientious in this respect than any other people. But beggars, cripples, lepers, the demented, and the confused were ubiquitous. Moreover, charity itself was a source of pride. Jesus always stressed not the action, however virtuous in appearance, but the feeling behind it. He saw that the successful man-turned-philanthropist could be a monster of arrogance, just as poverty bred meanness, violence, and cruelty. What he looked for was humble men, the poor in spirit, a new term he added to the human language, meaning someone whose thoughts were above material things and whose mind simply did not calculate in terms of possessions. Hence, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, is the first of the Beatitudes Jesus lists in the fifth chapter of Matthew. Those who sorrow will be comforted. The meek will inherit the earth. Those who hunger and thirst after justice will be filled. The merciful will be shown pity. The pure in heart will see the beatific vision. The peacemakers will be treated as God's children. And those who are persecuted because they do right will go straight to God. Luke repeats the gist of this teaching, but adds a series of warnings aimed at those who are ambitious to do well in the world. Many of them will prosper, but only in this world, not the next. There's trouble ahead if you think you have it made. What you have is all you'll ever get. And it's trouble ahead if you're satisfied with yourself. Yourself will not satisfy you for long. And it's trouble ahead if you think life's all fun and games. There's suffering to be met, and you're going to meet it. And there's trouble ahead if everyone speaks highly of you, because that's how they spoke of false prophets. Jesus said they should be particularly worried when all men shall speak well of you. It meant there was something fundamentally false about what they were doing, or saying, or thinking. This was tough teaching, hard to follow, and entirely new. It had no equivalent in the Old Testament or any of the pious wisdom literature of the ancient Near East. And Jesus followed it with still more difficult maxims. Love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the supple moves of prayer for that person. If someone slaps you in the face, stand there and take it. If someone grabs your shirt, give wrapped your best coat and make a present of it. Above all, he told them, hesitate to criticize other people. Don't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticize their faults. Unless, of course, you want the same treatment. Don't condemn those who are down that hardness can boomerang. Be easy on people. You'll find life a lot easier. Give away your life. You'll find life given back. But not merely given back. Given back with bonus and blessing. Giving, not getting, is the way. Generosity begets generosity.
In all this teaching, Jesus was stressing that it was not so much the outer actions, but the inner sentiments which mattered. Jesus stressed that evil feelings, allowed to develop unrestrained, led to major sins. It had always been obvious that killing was wrong, he argued. But I tell you, anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. Carelessly call a brother idiot, and you just might find yourself hauled into court. Thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister, and you're on the brink of hellfire. So compose quarrels. Be reconciled to thy brother. Don't lose a minute. Make the first move. Make things right with him. Of course, adultery was wrong. Everyone knew that. But don't think you preserve your virtue simply by staying out of bed. Your heart can be corrupted by lust even quicker than your body. Those ogling looks you think nobody notices, they also corrupt. Swearing was wrong, and he gave examples to avoid. Speech should be simple and direct. You don't make your words true by embellishing them with religious lace. In making your speech sound more religious, it becomes less true. Just say yes and no. When you manipulate words to get your own way, you go wrong. The old saying, you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy, was wrong. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the supple moves of prayer, for then you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. He begged his listeners to do these things because this is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone regardless, the good and bad, the nice and nasty. He continued, Be perfect, as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Offerings and charities should be given secretly, not publicly. When you help someone out, don't think about how it looks. Just do it, quietly and unobtrusively. Do not make a parade of praying in the streets, but find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role-play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. When fasting, don't go out with an awful face, but carry on normally. Make your sacrifices, like your prayers, secret. The transience and pointlessness of the world, when contrasted with the solidity and the permanence of heaven, was a theme to which he turned repeatedly. Don't hoard treasure down here, where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust, or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven, where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be, and end up being. Don't fuss about food or drink or clothes. There is far more to life than the food you put in your stomach, more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. The Father knows what you need, and He will provide. 
Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now, and don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. Many of Jesus' sayings have become maxims familiar to us from childhood, but they were startlingly new in his day. They provoke thought, astonishment, often anger, fear, and doubt, and excitement. When Jesus preached in the fields, he set men and women arguing and thinking. Mark tells us that when Jesus was asked what was the greatest commandment, he cited the book of Deuteronomy. Love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence. And he then added, Love others as well as you love yourself. It was Jesus who first drew these two Old Testament commands together, making them the center of the good life. There is no other commandment greater than these two. When Jesus was asked, Who is my brother? Who is my neighbor? His answer was, Everyone. He turned compassion, which all of us feel from time to time for a particular person, into a huge, overarching gospel of love. He taught the love of mankind as a whole. The Greek word for this is philanthropia, philanthropy, which has since become threadbare with use and stained by misuse. It did not exist in Jesus' day as a concept. The idea of loving all humanity did not occur to anyone, Greek or barbarian, Jew or Gentile. Everyone's compassion, love, was selective. The Greeks were taught to hate the barbarians, just as Jews were taught to hate Gentiles and Samaritans. The Romans despised the peoples they conquered. All free men and women hated and feared slaves. Aristotle, perhaps the most sophisticated and enlightened man of his age, dismissed slaves as mere animated machines. The intellectual, social, and racial climate of Jesus' day was implacably hostile to his message in this respect. The society he entered was one in which pious Jews taught and were taught that Gentiles without the law were accursed. What he tried to show was that compassion had, quite literally, no limits. Otherwise, it was false. Benevolence was meaningless if it failed to be universal. Here was a new commandment as important as any of the Ten Commandments or all of them together. God was the model. He loved all human beings. And anyone who drew distinctions and made exceptions on grounds of nationality, or race, or religious beliefs, or opinions, or age, or sex, or profession, or past record of sinfulness, was not heading for the kingdom of God. On the contrary, he would find its gates shut. One principal reason Christianity later spread all over the world was that Jesus himself was a universalist. I will draw all men unto me. He insisted. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his Son, his one and only Son. 
and this is why, so that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. There are no restrictions or qualifications in this universal mission. When he gave his apostles their final instructions about their missionary tasks ahead, he set no geographical, social, national, or racial limits. They were to go into all the world and teach all nations. This universalism of Jesus stretched from his birth to his crucifixion. His mother was Jewish by birth, but his father was God, soaring above all personal distinctions. He had no home, no country, no race, no characteristics tying him to a tribe or a nation or a locality. He belonged to the kingdom outside time and space. But he was united to all men by love. He was philanthropy, the love of mankind, incarnate. And his sacrifice on the cross was the supreme philanthropic act in his life on earth and for all time. Love one another the way I loved you. This is the very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends. But by friends, he meant all, without exception. There was nothing exclusive about Jesus and his teaching. His message was the most inclusive of all such communications. No one before had, and no one since has, so confidently and warmly, and indeed naturally, opened his arms to the entire human race. Thank you for listening. My name is Gabriel Porras, and I am a professional voice artist. Visit me at gabrielvoice.com and radiantwhispers.com if you want to hear more of my work and more stories like this one. Have a wonderful rest of your life. <laughs>